Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Julius, and this is episode 307. We are the men and tights, the men and tights, the men and tights. We are the men and tights, but I don't know the song so well. Lovely singing, honey. You are very silly, Daddy. Hello, everybody. I'm here with the whole family today. Even Deli. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm here. Deli's raising uh, his hand. What are the men in tights? The Robin Hood men in tights uh-huh. is a reference to the fact that back then they wore, you know, tights. That was the fashion back then. Because today we are going to be reviewing the adventures of Robin Hood. And the reason why we're all here together is because this is a cooperative campaign game. It's played over, I think it was eight games. And we actually played this together as a family when we played through the campaign of it. But it is fully solitaire friendly. Uh, And if you want to play it solitaire, you just have to play either multi-handed or play between two and four characters at the same time. There's not really any difference for the experience when you're playing it solitaire. So we're going to go ahead and talk about it as a big family group. Everyone in for that? Yeah! Yeah. All right, very good. Glad we have everyone on board. Um, And by the way, since it's been just a little bit of time since we've been here last, uh, we do apologize for the break. We had some pretty horrible weather here in Memphis, and Albert had corresponding issues going on by him. So there's, there's been just a number of issues happening. So we do apologize. We've gotten our power back on. We've gotten our internet back on. Being without those for, you know, three days definitely sucks. But we're here. We're safe. We made it through the storm. Hopefully we'll have no more of those. Um, but, uh, yeah, maybe we'll have to review power plants instead next time as a good omen of having power plants up and running. All right. Having discussed all of that, let us begin with the adventures of Robin Hood. As a general overview of the game in two minutes or less, and the adventures of Robin Hood, you're going to be playing as the four characters, Robin Hood, Maid Marian, Little John, and Will Scarlet. And you're going to be essentially playing through the original story of Robin Hood, involving him coming back, hanging on Sherwood Forest, uh, stealing from the rich. Uh, to support the poor, supporting the return of King Richard, and generally overthrowing the evil sheriff of Nottingham and whatever his other prince name is, the prince. John. Prince John. Thank you, Prince John. Thank you, everyone, for helping me remember names. I'm excellent with names, as I know. Did you say? Did you say? Uh, uh, something. I'm not going to say the name. Excellent with names too. The purple. The purple dude. I have not talked about the purple dude. No. Did you say his name? Like you said, Prince John. Guy Gizmodo. Yeah. <laughs> Guy Gisborne. Guy Gisborne, yes. Not I Guy with Gizmo. Him. I haven't talked with him, though, that. because I'm doing the two-minute overview. But No, you said all the characters. Did you say Guy Gisborne? No, I haven't, because we're doing the two-minute overview. What's so, okay. you are playing as those four characters. And the idea is to play through the entire scenario. It is all co-op. The majority of the actions on the board are going to be moving around a board with wood figures to be able to plot point to point or actually not point to point distance on on the whole big board and interact with various sections of the board you'll have to measure your time what actions you do to be able to add more time to your board or prevent time from being lost too fast and be able to complete whatever particular mystery it is involved for the scenario it is that you're playing through 
you do have the ability to lose the scenario if you are not efficient with your time. But in general, I don't think it's too hard to be able to play through on, on the very least your first playthrough. And you'll experience a lot of the campaign. So this is very much geared as an experiential type of board game. Having said all that, we're now going to move on to some of the substance. So the first part that we're going to talk about is going to be the components. The components are all the stuff that you have in the box. Who would like to talk about the components first? Deli, go ahead. So what am I supposed to say? Just say all the components? Yeah, start by listing the components. Here, let me let me do this with a little bit more organization, and then I'll ask Delia for his opinion afterwards. There are five Robin Hood figures, five Maid Marian figures, five Little John figures, hold. five Little Scarlet. Hold, hold. Let me talk about what the components Fine. are. So, in order to be able to plot where you're holding, there's a standing figure for each of the four different characters. Those will mark where it is that you got to. Every character is also equipped with essentially their rulers, but they're pretty shaped rulers because they have wood figures etched into them about whether they're running or going slow. Um, so they're really essentially rulers to be able to tell how far it is that you can get on the board. You'll line up all those individual ruler segments, being careful not to go over like buildings or people or trees or things like that. And that'll show how far it is that you can get across the board. There's various squares on the board, many of which can be flipped over. It's a very large board. It's made of eight pieces that put, that you put together in a puzzle piece. And it has various squares laid out enough for things that you can interact with. So like there's a girl you can interact with, or a haystack, or some wood, or mushrooms, or buildings, or all sorts of different things on the board that you interact with. Essentially what you will go is you will go to a place and choose to interact with it. Alternatively, there are also people on the board that you can fight. There are guards and there are nobles. Um, you will determine whose turn it is. There's a large cloth bag that has in it these wooden discs that you will use to determine whose turn it is. So you'll pull out a disc, and if it's green gets comes out, it is the green person's turn to go. So they will move across. Which is Robin Hood. Which is Robin Hood. Occasionally, you will pull out a red disc. Red disc is bad. When you pull out a red disc, you will have to check and see if any of the guards see anybody. Once you start getting more involved in the game, there's these seals that come out, which will flip over guards, so new guards could pop up, and you might not expect it. But if a guard sees someone, they will capture them, and you will lose hope. Hope will sink in the land. Uh, this is bad, because if hope sinks too much you will start to lose time faster and that will end your game. Additionally, if a guard captures someone, they're stuck and they can only fight to defeat a guard. If you choose or if you're forced to defeat either a guard or a noble, what happens is, is the same bag also has a bunch of cubes in them, primarily purple and white cubes. You get to pull out up to three cubes. If one of the cubes you pull out is a white cube, you have successfully defeated that person. If you defeat a guard, you get a little bit more hope and you also have the ability to prevent being captured next time. If you defeat a noble, you get to steal something from them, whether it be a bag of gold, their treasured sword, or a cloak from them so you can disguise yourself. Um, all of those things are just tracked by putting a cube on the board on the corresponding spot to show that you have that. The last component to talk about, as my children have already wanted to jump into, is the Guy of Gisborne figures. 
there are purple discs that are also in the bag, and the purple is essentially a, a game-controlled character. He operates the same as you. He has a standing figure and a ruler that shows how far it is that he goes. His whole goal is to try and catch up to you. So on his turn, he will move as close to you as he possibly can. Um, but he only has one ruler, but he has two discs, so he'll get two turns per round to be able to go. If he catches you, he, he injures your character, and you now have to sacrifice one of your rulers, so you're going to be going slower, essentially, the rest of the game, which can kind of snowball. Um, having completed that, there's a couple other special items that are character-dependent to denote what their special powers are, but that is the majority of the components. Dilly, you had a comment you want to make on the specific components. Was uh, Did you like them? I, I did really like the components. Um, I, I, um, what did you like about the components? I liked that they, they were wooden instead of plastic, that's for sure. Um, but I, I also looked at, I also liked how they looked and that, like, for your mate, like, if you're main Marion, I liked how you could play with your figures, or like if you're Robin Hood. <laughs> you mean you like being able to fidget it with your yes, characters when it's yeah, not your turn? Yeah. I see. Um, it's fun to fidget with those. <laughs> in terms for me, I will echo what Dolly said that I like that all the components are wood in the game. There's no plastic involved. So the cubes are wood. The figures are wood. This certainly the rulers and things like they could have done rulers out of string, or they could have done rulers out of plastic. But the fact that the the rulers have figures built into them was a nice touch. It really helps the things stand up. Those could have been a lot more bland, a lot more, a lot less expensive rather than having them be essentially giant meeples. They could have just had them be simple cardboard rulers. So I very much appreciate the style that they use of those rulers. And I think that that's very nice. Yes, Ed. So for the components, I liked how the board was like a puzzle. It was super detailed. Like, also, you had like free range, so it wasn't you had to jump from one piece down to another piece. I like how figures. Well, wait. Let me address. Let me address this point. Tapes. So, with the board, what Khadivar is saying is that she likes that it's essentially open world. It's not point to point. You can go anywhere you want to the board because the only distance is your ruler. It's not like going from space to space to space like you would with, say, keep the heroes out or pandemic. You can go anywhere you want on the board. You're only limited by what your ruler goes to. It almost feels like um, a tactical miniatures type game where there's a ruler that, that determines how far you can go. The whole board is open to you, and the board is very highly detailed. Very much encourages you to look at all the details, find things that you can do. I think this was my possibly heaviest emphasized in the first scenario of the game where, minor spoiler, in the first scenario of the game, you're trying to find a secret camp. And there's actually two secret camps possible. You have to scour the board to, to figure out a clue for where to go, how to find a secret camp. And all those details of the board and the fact that you can go anywhere just left that as a wide open adventure that really pulled you in and compelled you to pay attention to get drawn in. Um, I also liked how the capes, they flew back and the knees like went up on the thing. So it really shows how they're running, how they're walking. They're just staying in place. I liked how the book is like an actual book. Well, hold it. Let's get back to the book in a second. Let's get back to the book in a second. I th there is a large book, almost a tome, that is included with the game. And that lists out all the scenarios and all the encounters. Like if you go to tile 122, you turn to page 122 and you read what it says. Um, 
I will let's let's hold the the tome until we start discussing gameplay. I think though. Okay. okay. All right. Deli, do you want to say I, something I was else? Gonna talk about the book. Talk about well. the book as well. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say I will, like that it's an actual book instead of a. It is. It is a tome. Of this. I also really like the book. Yeah, it's okay. also excellent that the the tome is not an app. I will say, oh, if oh. you don't like having apps in your board games, congratulations. This is not one of them. There are a lot of games that are pushing it towards doing larger scenarios, more evolving scenarios, things like that, at the expense of not having an actual book that you can consult. This is an actual book involved in it, and we all enjoyed and benefited from that fact, so cool for that. I like how it's more of a book than a rule book, so you don't have to flip through the rule book as more of an actual book. Well, talking about the rule book, I'm going to move to the next segment we normally discuss, which are the rules in this game. This is a campaign game. It is an experiential game, and the game eases you into the rules. So there's actually a rule book and an intro sheet. So the intro sheet gives you a very brief introduction to how you move on the board and this whole idea of how you use the rulers to be able to move across the board. And then at that point in time, it says, we're not teaching you anything else. Go out and explore. And over the course of your first two scenarios, it slowly introduces the rules, slowly turns off more of it. In fact, the board itself has hidden spots where aspects of rules are hidden. When you start the board, it just looks like forest. And then as you get to something that says, hey, there's rules about keeping inventory. There's rules about what happens with the red disc. You will actually flip over segments of the board to now have those things pictured on the board like you would have for a regular game. But because I didn't introduce it to you yet, it's just not there. So the game's method of introducing the rules to you, I thought, was spot on, especially for an experience game. It very much made it super easy to get in and get started real fast and then slowly introduced just the right amount of complexity for an experiential game to be able to introduce that. So I thought that, for me at least, I thought the rules were very spot on on explaining things and getting us going and keeping us going throughout the game. Any dissent? I know Daddy was like happy when he found out on the spots from when we flip from when we found that spot. He start he flipped over the piece and he used it. And then next round, like it was to help him. And wait, um, okay. When we found the secret base, he found the tile under it, and um, and he flipped it over and saw what it was. And then the next round, it was on on the other secret base. He found the real tile, and he was happy. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I like the fact that there were rules references that just popped over. I thought that was a very nice aspect of the game to be able to have. Um, there was one thing that I wanted to mention, though, about the components, and I know I'm going to take us back a second, but um, with regard to the components, the game requires that you mix in seals, discs, and cubes all in one bag. And then when you're ready to pull something out, you have to make sure you're pulling out the right component. But other stuff gets mixed in, and sometimes it's hard, especially seals and discs. They're both discs, just one is cardboard, one is wood. And so sometimes it can make it kind of annoying to be able to pull stuff out. But on the other hand, uh, it also helps with obfuscating things. You can't 
but I mean, you can look and count and stuff outside. You can keep track of your mind, but sort of it makes it a little bit more of a mystery because you don't really know how many cubes are in there because it's hard to feel with precision because there's all the cubes and discs also taking up room. So there was pros and cons for that factor. Yeah. Does it say you're not allowed to count in the rules? No, it doesn't say you're not allowed to count. You I just thought that you have more mystery if you don't know the exact thing. You can count, but I'd say you shouldn't. And I'm sure everybody else says you shouldn't count. Too. My wife, on the other hand, was very much keeping counting. track and counting the whole time. And like, I know that there's six in there. We've put in four more, so we're up to this and that stat. And so I appreciated that. She made it very strategic. And I don't really have an issue with it. Um, it's I feel like it's less just not. It's just not something I would have done. I like knowing what's happening. <laughs> I did the same thing for one of the rounds too. I would probably count cards too if I could. You, I believe that. <laughs> I believe cards. That. What does she mean, cards? And and this is why my game. My my wife likes uh, you know spreadsheet type games. Or maybe gave me Castles of Burgundy. Yeah, makes makes perfect sense. All right. So that is all about components. What does counting cards mean? Counting cards? I will explain to you later. Why? Because we're in the middle of a podcast and it's nothing to do with the podcast. <laughs> Fine. So that is all about components. That is all about the rules. Let us move on. To counting cards. Dun, to dun, theme. Dun. Well, just to briefly mention about the theme, I think we've discussed the theme, but let me ask, roundtable discussion, do you think that the game evokes the theme of Robin Hood, or is it primarily just a run around, do things, and didn't have to have this theme? I've never read the book. I can't tell. Did you feel like your adventure in Sherwood Forest? Most definitely. Most definitely. Yes. Then it pulled the theme through perfectly, in my opinion. The addition... The additional fact that it is open world, you can go wherever you want with the rulers, the fact that there was a book encountering what people say and how things worked, the fact that all of the elements tied strongly into their thematic reasoning, all that really helped pull the theme. So I thought that the theme was very much on point. Let us move on to gameplay. So now we're going to mention about more details about how the gameplay worked. So again, I've mentioned that there was the figures that allow you to run around the board. They have Guy of Gisborne, who's trying to hunt you down and remove your ability to run around the board. And there's the book that lets you interact with things, and there's all of the different scenarios that you can involve yourself with. Um, in terms of some things I liked about the gameplay, we've mentioned that it is open world. We mentioned that the book has a lot of interactions. There's a lot of things that are involved in the book. Sometimes, though, for me, I felt like the book was a little bit repetitive because, you know, for example, we're trying to hunt someone and everyone is saying, hey, do you want all three of these lists of things? And sometimes it's not completely obvious that they do and you miss out on other things if you choose one dialogue tree or you don't have enough time if you have other dialogue trees. So it can sometimes just cause you to miss stuff or have to go single-minded. But, I mean, just look at the other one would be my opinion for an experiential game. Let's just go get involved in the other one. Um, another issue I had with gameplay. At one point in time, you're going to start finding shortcuts that take you through the forest. And there's these tree bridges. And when you're doing the tree bridges, you have to have specifics about where you put your figure about whether it can go on the tree bridge or not. 
that was something that we just sort of fudged a lot. We, in fact, I think fudged the rulers in general a fair amount, just be like, yeah, you can definitely reach and that's fine and things like that. But it was sometimes difficult to exactly line up those rulers. And practically a lot of the game, a lot of the, basically the only thing you do is use the rulers to get around and read the book. <laughs> there's not there's not really a lot of other gameplay to the thing. Yeah? But in the book, they're, like, mysterious. They're, they're mysteries. And, like, I, I feel like mysteries are fun. And there's also a goal, like, you have to get from place to place and talk to the per, talk to the Pacific specific person and go to the place that they tell you. And there, I feel like that's adventurous and mysterious. There is, and there's a lot of adventure to that, but there's not a lot. What I'm saying is that there's not a lot of gameplay mechanics. Oh, yeah. Really. The only thing you're doing is you're just measuring how far you can get and doing that a bunch of times and reading a story when you can get to a certain spot. There's no card play. There's not really action management. There's not a difference in actions. Most of the items, just you use them and they do a thing. It's not like you have to save your items at the right time. There isn't a lot of gameplay decisions involved in this one. I don't think it's the sort of game that you can be better or worse at because for the most part, it's just get there and read the next book entry. So I don't think it's going to challenge. It's not a challenge of a game. It's an experience of a game. And so if you're looking for an experience, that's great. That's perfectly fine. Or if you're willing to have a fun experience, that's great. It's fine. But if you're looking for something that's going to challenge you across the course of it, I don't think it will. I think just some, the, we only failed one scenario that we had to redo. Even then, it felt like it was just a matter that, hey, we just happened to get unlucky with going to the wrong place or investing in the wrong thing. It wasn't like we made a gameplay decision that didn't go our way. It just happened. It was nothing about being right or wrong or better at the game. It was just a matter that the you looked in the wrong place. So I suppose what I'm saying is that the gameplay of it possibly is a little bit bland. And it's more that the experience is what spices up the game for me. The gameplay being bland is probably why I liked it. What do you mean? It's not complicated. Oh, it is not complicated. It's on my level very much. <laughs> it is a simple gameplay loop. But that being said, I think that the experience is a very deep experience. Uh, I do agree with you. It's kind of bland. Like All you're doing is moving. But I think that it's still like interesting because you have a storyline. Talk to it. Because you have a storyline. Yes. So exactly. That's what I'm saying. I think that the experience and the storyline is what really brings it home. I mean, the only reason you're uh, listening to this is totally because you want easy games. No, it's not. They're, they're hard games. <laughs> but this is really an easy game, so I agree with her. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, Yes. So that's about the gameplay, but let's so having focused on the mechanics, let's having fo- focused on the mechanics, let's turn attention to the experience and just to more fully highlight how deep the experience is. 
there are multiple versions through the different scenarios that you can take. Um, there is a choice that you can make that takes the scenarios down one of two options. Each of the scenarios actually has a one side and a two side that you can play through. So there's two different versions of each of the different scenarios. Um, and within each of the scenarios, there's a lot of different things that you can do to keep everyone involved over the course of the game. There's usually side quests that can give you a little bit of extra time. You'll often want to get that extra bit of time. Uh, there's different ways for all the players to interact and help out together. For example, there's one time where you have to sneak into the castle and you want various people to make sure that they're all combined together to get a carriage out and be able to get a disguise out and someone's trying to lure Guy of Gisborne the wrong direction. And so you're having a lot of people moving parts together to try and make sure that these scenario objectives are achieved and continue to delve into them. At the same time, a lot of the time it's hints and there's if you're paying attention to the story you'll have an idea of what it is for example at one point in time you're told hey you want to rescue some people use your intelligence to try and figure out where the people may be hiding or who it is that you want to rescue and there rather than having you play a gameplay well you'll have to sit and think well the story has told me x and y and if x and y is true well where would i go and get more information not on a gameplay version but almost in a role play idea who would i go talk to to get specific information about this aspect and element and a lot of the times most of the scenarios fell down to thinking about it logically who's going to have information that you want and who's just going to have aid to be able to make the rest of the scenario easier and if you're judging it that way that is perhaps the skill that you'll want to try and manipulate in the game, as opposed to gameplay skills, it's just logical and deductive skills. Like, let's say if you need to get in, in, into the um, castle or something, you might need to ask somebody where, like, how to get into the castle, or if you need to find a secret hiding spot, you might need to ask somebody where he, secret hiding spot is, like somebody who works in the woods. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, there is a little bit of pressure to the game because there's that hope constantly ticking down, so it maintains a constant forward focus. You're not given a lot of time to faff around the board and go and investigate all the things. You have to keep moving. You have to keep moving towards your goal, which helps ensure that there is pressure and tension to the game itself and also helps ensure that on repeat playthroughs, there's additional dynamics for you to be able to explore. In addition to the fact that there's a different options in the different game. You can play, there is a plus mode. If you've gone through the whole game, there's a plus mode so you can play through it with additional stuff going on. Um, you can play through it on either on the one or the two side. You can play through going through the different scenario side. So there's a lot there's a lot of variety to the different playthroughs, but at the same time, it is an experience, and the game can run out on that experience at one point in time. So it's not the game that's going to last in your shell forever, but it is a game that I think you're going to enjoy reading through, very similar to a good interactive book, in my opinion. So let's see if anyone has any final thoughts about if you what you thought about the game, if you enjoyed it, and why. I do think that there's a little surprises in there, like um, like on this on the scenario 
uh, that I think it might be on second scenario. Your, uh, your, your tree bridges are gonna burn. I think somehow. Yeah, um, we never actually saw the tree bridges burn. Yeah, but it's cool. So I think like that will just happen, or rot like. Robin Hood won, and then she's just taken away. Like I think that's some cool stuff. So you enjoyed the game? You thought yeah. it was cool? I, I th- yeah, and I thought there were quite some some quite cool surprises. I think I like the. What I was gonna say. Can you come back to me? I liked the <clears throat> mechanic of flipping the board and how it can change from play to play. I also really liked the book and, and having the instructions appear like that rather than a regular standard instruction manual. The book is pretty and it was fun. Very cool. And I also enjoyed the, the game. I thought the experience was rich and deep. I thought that there was a lot to enjoy in it. Even if it was particularly difficult, I think that it was a fun experience to go through the course of the game. Uh, I think it's certainly something I would recommend. I'd certainly recommend if you have younger children or if you have um, people who don't want a difficult gameplay loop, this is something that the whole family can gather around the table and be able to play. Or this is something where you can go through the whole game, experience it for yourself, and enjoy playing through an interactive novel. I like how there's only a certain amount of time, but you could do little side quests and get more time. Very cool. Yeah, so like, you like the game in general? Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. There are certain side quests like put the flag on the castle or rescue the forest or things. So we've, we've got thumbs up all around the table. So I think from our table to yours, Hopefully all of you will enjoy this too. All right. Have a good night, all. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at julius at oneplayerpodcast.com or jlbird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at albert at oneplayerpodcast.com or fractaloon on BGG. Our website is oneplayerpodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at oneplayerpodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at donpancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.